Hey, I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church. Right, let me get situated here real fast. Yeah, there we go. Um, we're going to continue our look at Mark today, and I just want to take a moment and say that I'm glad you're here with me today. Glad that you've chosen this as like your community. You know, if this is your first time here, first time listening, or you've been like listening for a while and I don't know. I'm just glad. I'm glad you're choosing to spend your time with us. I think that we're like all here to experience and grow closer to Jesus. And that's what I like really want. I want to see us all grow closer to Jesus. You know, like 30 years ago, our culture was asking a question about, about God, about Jesus. They were saying, is it true? They were asking the question, like, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Is that real? Is God real? And there were best-selling books that like tried to talk, answer this topic, evidence that demands a verdict. Like there was bestsellers that tried to answer that question. But starting about 30 years ago or so, that question began to shift. The generation of like young people today, kind of 30 years old, younger, sort of that millennial, they're no longer asking, is it true? They're asking, is it helpful? They're looking at the church around them and they're like Christian parents and they're like Christian peers. And before they care if it's true or not, they want to know, is it actually useful in our lives? And when you have like a longtime Christian who's like indistinguishable from the world and from their non-Christian neighbors, of course, their kids are going to ask, what good has this really done you? And the follow-up to que question to is it good is who is Jesus really to you? See, we have this like generation of young people, particularly this like millennials, Gen Z, maybe not quite. They're sort of different in a little bit. You'd go into some of that if you wanted. We have this generation of young people who largely grew up in the church and they know about Jesus and they know some of his teachings. And when I talk with like 20 and 30-year-olds, who grew up in the church, but they no longer attend the church, I hear the same thing again and again. I hear them say, I read the Gospels, and I see Jesus talking about love, but I don't see that love in my church. And so I left. They don't see those teachings of Jesus reflected in their lives of their Christian parents and their Christian peers. And so this generation is like really calling out, they're, they're posing a question. And the question they pose is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? So our text today is from Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. It's page 1,437 if you have the Pew Bibles, if that's what you're following along in. Here in Mark chapter 8 is a turning point. It's the point at which Jesus begins to openly talk about his crucifixion and ultimately like the culmination of his death in Jerusalem. And it points us towards like the climax of the story. We've seen like the characters come on. We've seen, we've learned about Jesus, his identity, who he is as kind of a person, as son of God, as this healer guy. And we know like the characters who are plotting against him. We've, we've read about those stories. And so like the plot has really thickened. And now Jesus is openly telling his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. So this is Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? 
And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. The Caesarea Philippi, it was a long walk outside of like Jesus' normal ministry area. Caesarea Philippi is like 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So far from like most of Mark, Jesus has been in Galilee. That's where he's, that's his base. And so this trip is kind of strange. Why leave? Jesus leaves his base, travels 25 miles north, gaining 1,700 feet of elevation to the headwaters of the Benias River at Pan's Grotto. And the Benias River is like, it's a major contributor to the Jordan River. But why? Why take that? We, what we see is Jesus does this. He tells one story, gives one teaching. And then in Mark, in Mark 9, he's back in Galilee. It's kind of weird. At Caesarea Philippi was a cave here. I got some pictures pulled up. You sort of see him if you're watching the video. At Caesarea Philippi was a cave. It was a well-known cave. At the mouth was a whole series of shrines set up to the god Pan, a god of nature, shepherds, and flocks. And the popular myth was that this cave went all the way to hell, or that it contained in it the gates of hell. So when Matthew has a parallel story to Mark in Matthew 16, Matthew adds some details that Mark leaves out. It's here that Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So he's not talking about like some metaphysical place. He's talking about something very real that they could actually see. Jesus takes them on this like field trip to show them, hey, he takes them 25 miles out of the way to a place where people reject God for their pan God. And he asks them a question. Jesus asked the disciples a question. He says, who do the people say I am? I can imagine him looking at all these shrines set up to pan and he goes, who do the people say I am? And they give him an answer. Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Elijah was a prophet that was supposed to return. Malachi chapter four, verses five and six says, Lo, I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children, and the hearts of children to their parents, so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. So some of the people, they recognize that Jesus is this prophet. He's this like return of Elijah somehow. And they're correct in stating that because Jesus absolutely fulfills this role. But then Jesus asked his disciples, not who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? Jesus forces the disciples to take a position. He forces them to, to take a position. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody. Did you see that Super Bowl ad about he gets us? It's made like a, a big stink inside of like some Christian stuff. Excuse me. I didn't see it live. It's caused a lot of controversy. But at the heart of the question is, who is Jesus? That's what the, that's what the he gets us ad is trying to like pose as a question. I didn't see it live. I went back and watched it. And frankly, I didn't think it was that bad. If you didn't see it, it, what it has is it has a series of like 10-ish images of people performing a, a foot washing. We see a foot washing happening in the middle of a protest. We see a police officer washing the feet of an African-American man. 
a woman washing the feet of another woman outside a family planning clinic. And it ends with the words, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. And I get what they're going for. The, the criticism from like people on the political left has been, well, perhaps this money could have been used better. I've read an estimate that it cost maybe $20 million to air this commercial. And perhaps Jesus probably doesn't need a PR campaign. And maybe the $20 million could have been spent actually washing feet instead of telling us about washing feet. And I've read that perhaps that is what Jesus would have done. Would Jesus have spent $20 million on a Super Bowl ad? That's the criticism from those on the left. And in light of Jesus telling us, you know, and then like the, the thing from like what I've heard from Christians on the right is that it really presents like a soft Jesus, like a Jesus who doesn't care about sin or something. But I don't think that's the case. I think people who see that in there have misunderstood what's happening. Like in light of Jesus telling us, you've heard it say, hate your enemies. You've heard it said, hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And this ad seemed to challenge people to cross boundaries with love in the symbolic form of a foot washing, a direct command from Jesus. It challenges us to reimagine Jesus in our context and culture today. And at the heart of this controversy is the question, who is Jesus? When we say Jesus wouldn't have done that, Jesus wouldn't have spent $20 million to air this commercial, or Jesus wouldn't have washed the feet of this African-American man, or whatever. We're saying, I know who Jesus is. That's what we're saying. We've entered the Lenten season. Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday. For us Protestants, we don't often celebrate Lent. Lent is seen as something that like Catholics do when they eat fish on Fridays or something. Or maybe if you're Anglican or Lutheran, you might get a little smudge of ash on Ash Wednesday. But what is Lent? What is Lent? Lent is the 40 days prior to Easter. Now, if you count from Ash Wednesday to Easter, you don't get 40 days, you get 46. Lent is the 40 days prior to Easter minus the Sundays. Beginning in the second century, the church began to fast leading up to Easter. And initially, this fast lasted for like three days. But by the third century, they had lengthened it out to 46 days, 40 days minus Sundays. And in the early days of Christianity, when you first became a believer, you were considered a catechumen. I've only ever seen that word written, so I might be pronouncing it. Let me know if I got that wrong. A catechumen. What a catechumen was is that these were believers who had yet to be baptized. They were being trained up in how to be Christians. They were being instructed as believers before being admitted to the sacrament of baptism on Easter at sunrise. If you ever hear somebody going through catechism, what they would be considered is catechumens. So we've sort of changed and reinterpreted the idea of catechism, but the idea of instructing new believers has continued forward. Right. I'm, we're not going to go through the whole history of that. And so what it is, is like these 40 days of Lent, these were intense training to help people answer the question, who is Jesus? Do you remember being like in school and as finals approached, people started to like buckle down and really try to learn harder. That's similar to what is happening, what would happen in Lent. And it's all geared to answer the question, 
who is Jesus? That's the purpose of Lent. The purpose of Lent is that we can reflect on this question in my life, in your life, who is Jesus? And so Peter, he's announced that Jesus is the Messiah. But now what? What do we do with that now? Let's read on. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 35. These are the next set of verses. He then, this is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and to begin to rebuke him. But when Jesus but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concern of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowds to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We see in these verses that Jesus has put his face towards Jerusalem. We've set his face towards Jerusalem. We get this from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. It says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. So Jesus has set his face like flint towards suffering, rejection, being killed, and after three days, being raised to life again. Peter, though, has another option for Jesus. Surely not, Lord, says Peter. And Jesus rebukes him in front of his friends. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And this, this set of verses today are often the beginning of Lenten verses. Oftentimes, as Protestants and modern-day Christians, we, can, we sort of miss the church calendar. Like there's a whole church calendar that has existed and, and guided seasons of life. The one that we've like created for ourselves recently is Advent. Advent wasn't practiced by the early church. It only started in like the early 1800s, like the 1820s. Um, when I speak as like a theologian, 1820s is pretty recent in the scheme of 2000 years of church history. So other than, other than Advent, most of us don't generally know the Christian calendar. We know Advent and Lent and our knowledge of Lent is like Catholics eat fish on Fridays or they don't eat fish on Fridays or something. And we kind of like miss some of what's, and they sort of like fast, they give something up. You, you give something up for Lent and you eat fish on Fridays. That's what you do uh, or something like that. Lent is a season where we set our faces with Jesus. It's 40 days of remembering that Jesus went to the cross and experienced suffering, rejection, and being killed. And let rem we remember it was our sin that put him there. I did that. And so did you. Before we can enjoy our share of the grace of the cross, we must embrace our share of its guilt. And Lent is the season that we purposely set out to carry our cross with Jesus. The next, I mean, Mark 8, 34 and 35, he called the crowds with his disciples, said to them, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. 
Lent is the 40-day season that we deny ourselves and take up our cross. We fast. We choose to give something up that will help us to focus in and remember. Now, Lent is not 40 days, though, is it? It's 46 minus the Sundays. Sunday is this beautiful time where we take our week of turning our face with Jesus and we celebrate with him a miniature Easter every week. On Sunday, we Sabbath, we rest from our fast. We remember that ultimately on the other side of us taking up our cross is the resurrection. For six, de- for six days, we have fasted and we have given something up like chocolate or whatever. But then Sunday is free to put down our fast because Jesus will be raised from the dead. Following Easter begins a 50-day period looking forward to Pentecost. So for 40 days, we mourn and we are sad that Jesus will suffer and die And we carry a cross with him and we give up ourselves. But then for the next 50 days after Easter are a celebration in the church calendar. They're meant to be a time where we feast following the fast of Lent. So let's think about this in terms of Peter. Because Peter has seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle. He has watched him cast out demons and restore broken relationships. And now Peter says that, Jesus is the Messiah. And Peter's right. Jesus tells him so. Here is all this hope and expectation about the Messiah and how the world is going to be good. It's going to be made well. Things are going to go great again. But then Jesus starts talking about his suffering, his rejection, and his death. And Peter can't grasp that. He can't say no to his own ideas about God, about how God and about how Jesus should be. Let me put it to you like this. In my life, I I really enjoy expertise. I love listening to an expert. I love listening to an expert pianist tapping on the keys. I love listening to an expert Bible scholar explaining the intricacies of the Greek grammar and the Gospel of John. I love listening to an expert barista talk about the pressure of the espresso machine and the extraction of the coffee beans under that pressure. To be an expert in anything involves a no as much as it involves a yes. To be an expert involves a no as much as it involves a yes. To be an expert in pianist, be an expert pianist, you have to say yes to the piano and you have to say no to everything else. You can only become an expert by saying no. As an expert, you eliminate everything else. You, will, you get rid of everything else until all that is left is the piano, is the gospel, is the espresso. So from now until Easter, the church has historically fasted and mourned and spent time in a season of contemplation. Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. As the greatest expert himself, Jesus eliminated everything else until all that was left was the Father's will heading towards the cross. Lent is a time when we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We say, this is it. I'm going to give up all of this and carry my cross. I know that it will be a time of sadness with a feeling of loss. Now, I'm not saying be sad for the next six weeks, although maybe you will be. If your kid has a birthday party next month, by all means, celebrate. 
you don't have to tell him, sorry, buddy, like, I really wanted to get you cake, but it's Lent, so enjoy this birthday oatmeal. What Lent is, is a reflective, reflective journey with Jesus as we fix our eyes with him on the coming crucifixion. It can feel weird to have this, to plan a season of sadness. That's what we do in Lent. We, we plan to be sad. We plan to be, to mourn. We plan to recognize Jesus is heading to the cross where he will suffer and die. And with that comes a sense of heaviness and grief and loss and sadness. And we can plan to enter into that. And I think it's necessary for us to enter into these seasons that when we don't know the church calendar and we don't do this well, we lose something. And here's why I say that. I want to, I would encourage you that there are, there are things that have built up over the last year, over the last years that you have not taken the time to process. There are sad things that have happened in your life and you had to deal with them as they came. And that means that you buried some of those emotions in order to get through the day. In order to like function as a person in a society that like demands things of you, you had to bury some of your emotions that you couldn't deal with at that time. We all do this. Uh, this last year has been an incredibly hard year for me in ministry. We went through several losses here in the church. And I didn't get a chance to unpack those fully as they were happening. But now as we enter Lent, I get time to unpack those. It's a season where sadness is raised from our hearts and it's brought to the forefronts of our mind. It's a time that we have set aside to go, listen, this is okay. Like, it's okay to be sad sometimes. And we raise this sadness is raised from our hearts and it's brought to the Lord. And at the foot of the cross, he transforms it in the shadow of the resurrection. But we don't get that transformation unless we bring it to the cross. So this season is one where you can surface your own sadness. You can surface your own grief. You can embrace your sadness in light of the coming resurrection. Let me read this paragraph for you. And tell me if this season of sadness, in light of the coming resurrection, doesn't shine through. Our world is currently asking the question, who is Jesus? We've seen it from Super Bowl commercials in our culture. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? He forces his disciples to take a position on that question. He forced them to answer it. Peter gave the watershed answer. You are the Messiah. That is the most important thing Peter ever said. Peter, though, doesn't understand what Messiah means. Jesus has to correct his misunderstanding. Through the Lenten season, beginning today, Jesus is asking you to take a position. Who is Jesus to you? How are you going to answer that? Jesus says he is here to suffer, be rejected, and to die on your behalf, before he will be raised again. And his invitation to you is that you suffer, be rejected, and die with him as he raises you back to life. Herein, I think, is the value of the He Gets Us commercial. 
It requires us to suffer, be rejected, and in a sense die to ourselves and to our own culture to be able to wash the feet of our enemies. And yet, that is exactly the call of Jesus to love our enemies. For the next six weeks, I want to challenge you. How are you answering the question? Who is Jesus to you? Heavenly Father, we want to take a moment to ask that you would make yourself known here. That as you have fixed your face towards Jerusalem, and we remember that, that we would just fix our eyes on you. Lord, would you just help us? Help us to draw out in this time of Lent, in this season of remembrance, in this time where we ask, who are you, that we would be willing to embrace the sadness of our time, to be able to tell the truth that the gospel is bad news before it's good news, that it is news that I am a sinner, and yet you give me rest. It's bad news before good news. So, Lord, I would ask that you would just make that true in my life today. And for those listening as well, Lord, would you help us to draw out the sadness in our own hearts that we might see it transformed at the foot of the cross in light of the resurrection. We just pray this in your name. Amen.